Zacharias begins to prophesy his father. And it says, And his father Zacharias, verse 67, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward us, to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this prophecy is foreshadowing what's going to happen. Zacharias could not have known this. Right? So these are God's Word implanted in Zacharias to be spoken at this moment. So that's another part of prophecy. It is God's Word, but they have an intended time, a, an intended revelation. It's not like we study up and then prepare. That's different. That's, that's preaching. And this is what uh, one commentator says. He says, Teaching or preaching is the teacher's prepared explanation of revelation already given in Scripture tradition. So it's it's something that is prepared. Prophecy is the relating of a revelation given directly by God, and its content and organization is typically regarded as more directly and situationally inspired by God. Meaning, this kind of revelation, this, the prophecy, is generally given at the moment that it is needed. That doesn't mean that it couldn't happen yesterday and be you see that person the next day. But generally speaking, when you look at the Old Testament, it seems that the prophecy comes at the moment that it's happening. I, I couldn't find an example where prophecy was given and then the receiver was given that prophecy at a later date. So I would dare say that prophecy should always be something that is inspired in the moment that it is given. It is an immediate revelation of God. And that's why I believe in the gathered assembly, if the Holy Spirit speaks to us and quickens in us and encourages our faith so that we step out and prophesy, that that is the way it should be done. Just as Zechariah, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to prophesy. He didn't wait. Okay, I'm going to wait till everybody's gone and just prophesy this alone, just in case. I don't, I don't want to be wrong. 
No, he, he was being led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he prophesied. And guess what? This was a prophecy from God. Everything that is said here came true. Everything. Of course, he, he couldn't have known all these things, like I said. So, prophecy also will, at some times, be forward-looking. It will be, give us an idea of the future. Not always, okay? I think this is a rarer occasion now in the New Testament. A lot of times, prophecy in the New Testament is different. And for this, I want to look at a couple examples in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 13, verse 2. So Acts chapter 13, verse 2. All right, we'll start at 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Huh. It's interesting. There were prophets and teachers in the church. Okay, that's great. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, a man, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So all these men were there. They were prophets and teachers. That's what he's saying. They're being labeled. Now, who was a prophet and who was a teacher? We don't know. He doesn't define that here. Verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, very likely through one of these men prophesying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we see here that prophecy is being used by the Holy Spirit in this specific case to call out two men to go with the gospel. Interestingly, they didn't just say, okay, great. They kept praying. They wanted to confirm this. But when Luke records this in the book of Acts... They already know that it was the Holy Spirit because they've seen God's power. The book of Acts is not the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's the book of the Acts of God. If you read the book, it's amazing. God's power through people like you and me. People who have nothing to offer, but God in His grace, through His Spirit's power, brings about transformation. So, we see that prophecy here is used to call someone to be used by God. And it's confirmed throughout their ministry. And to me, it, it also is a sign... A church should not be afraid to send out who they think are their best. 
If the Spirit guides a church to send out their best, guess what? God has a better replacement coming, right? You see that? Because they're naming all these people. Yeah, maybe these Simeon and um, Lucius and Manan, maybe they're still there. I don't know. But as a church, we should not be afraid. Oh, we don't want to let that those people go and, and be used by God in that way because it might be detrimental to the church. No, if God is guiding your church to send out someone, then it's going to be the good, for the good of you and the people who God is seeking to reach through that person. Verse 4, just to, to, to end, he says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They weren't, they weren't sent by the, the church in Antioch. Yes, they were, in a sense. They confirmed the call of God. But it was really the Holy Spirit that sent them out. And this should be a sign to us as a church that when someone is going out from our church, that there is a confirmation of, from the church that the Holy Spirit is sending them. Whether that may be locally, even in our country, or globally. Complete side note, has very little to do with today's message, but while we're here, might as well say it, right? And finally, let's look at Acts chapter 21. I know we're turning to a lot of passages, but I'd rather do that than anything else. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 9. Or verse 8. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven who stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Okay. You see, seeing no distinction here. The gift of prophecy was not for men or women. Specifically, it was for all. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands, feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. That's a pretty vivid prophecy, right? It really reminds you of an Old Testament prophecy. How many times do you remember in the Old Testament a prophet would act out their prophecy? There are cases of that with Elijah and, and others. And so, what is their response? And when we had heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. It's interesting 
before that, in Ephesus, Paul is also given another prophecy about this happening. And everyone is there. The difference is when they hear the prophecy, they add to it. And this is something we have to be careful with as believers. We aren't called to interpret it if we're the prophet always. A lot of times prophets want to interpret their own prophecy and that's not what God is calling us to do. So if you'll look with me in chapter 20 Verse 22, Paul is, honestly, this passage of Scripture is such a picture of the love of God that is given Paul for the people in Ephesus. Let's actually start in verse 19, or the middle of verse 18. You, should, you yourself know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there." Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So, on his way back to Jerusalem, Paul is being encountered by prophets everywhere who are telling that bonds and afflictions await him. But it doesn't scare Paul. But I do not consider my life or any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I, I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert. Remember that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God, to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified.
And later on in verse 36, when he had knelt down and said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. So we have to be careful as believers. What we want and what God's will is aren't necessarily the same thing. They didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem and be bound, but that was God's will. God was only preparing Paul. But if, if one of those men had prophesied and said, well, this is, this is exactly what you need to do. God is telling, warning you of this so you won't go. No, Paul knew. He, he had that relationship with the Lord and he knew that it was a warning of what was going to happen so that he would be prepared, not a um, warning so he wouldn't go. So we have to be careful when we receive prophecy or, or prophesying that we are not interpreting the prophecy for ourselves. We need to let the Spirit do that. Of what that prophecy means. Okay. So we've seen these examples. And I want to look at what Paul says the purpose of prophecy is in 1 Corinthians. So that's why we're going to be looking at chapter 14. If you look at the first few verses there. So chapter 14 of 2 Corinthians says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why, Paul? Why, why is prophecy so important that we should especially desire to prophesy? For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesy, prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So what is the purpose of prophecy according to Paul in this passage? Edification, exhortation, and consolation. Remember, Back in verse chapter 12 where he said it's for the common good. That's what edification is about. Prophecy is given to edify the church. That does not mean, though, that the edification could not be pointing out sin in someone's life. But it means that pointing out that sin will not be to condemn them, but to convict them to repentance. I read a story in one of these books, can't remember, but this man in the church had been considering suicide, had committed adultery and something else, and someone who had no relationship with them in that church in the sense of knowing all these things, and actually all of these things have been kept secret by this man, prophesied in the church, and it 
transform this man's life. In the prophecy, the man told, was told that Satan was seeking to destroy this man. And when God moved, this man was moved to repentance, his marriage was restored, and his relationship with God and his family was restored. And it transformed the church that he was in because God spoke directly to someone in the church and that the effect just in his life transformed the whole church. Why? Because people realized that God cared. Because the prophecy was not, I condemn you, get out. It was, I condemn you, I convict you of this sin, exposing the sin, and then repentance came and he was restored that's what the church should be about we should not be trying to push someone out because they are in sin but we should be calling them to repentance which by the way includes walking away from that sin so prophecy will edify it will build up so if, if, if a prophecy is seeking to condemn someone or, or to speak evil of someone, it's very likely it is not true prophecy. I, I've already talked about the fact that we are called to weigh what Scripture says. This is what 1 Thessalonians 5 says about this. First Thessalonians 5, verse 20 and 21. Starting in verse 19, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Or this word examine carefully is weigh carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, we don't despise prophetic utterances, but we do test them. We don't just say, well, you said it was a prophecy. Okay. You said these first, you know, you said, thus says the Lord. It must be from God. No. And honestly, if you look throughout the Old Testament, God didn't speak necessarily in the exact same formula for every prophecy. So, just because somebody says the right words does not mean a prophecy is a prophecy. We have to weigh, we have to know if they are false prophets or not. How many times in the book of 1 Timothy does Paul warn Timothy, be careful, there's, there's wolves out there, they want to lead you astray, they're false prophets. If they speak another gospel, they're not of me. So prophecy should edify, and it should exhort us. It should call us to deeper things. It may be a word for you. I, you know, somebody could say, well, I see that God wants to use you in this way, or that God is working in you in this way and, and is encouraging in you, you in this way. So it should be building us up, exhorting us, and consoling us, giving us comfort Maybe we're going through a difficult time and through prophecy God will encourage someone. I think this 
is the reason why Paul is putting this gift on a pedestal of sorts. Not because it's super spiritual, but it's so good for the body. And lastly, but honestly, we could put this first, prophecy will never downplay Christ or make Him minimal. Prophecy will always build up Christ and make Christ the center. Right? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12? No one by the Holy Spirit says, Jesus Christ be cursed. I think that applies here. So Paul is telling us to especially seek and desire earnestly prophecy because it edifies the church. We see that in verse 4. One who speaks, verse 14, chapter verse 4, says, One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more than that, you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so the church may receive edifying. What's the problem here in Corinth? They have made speaking in tongues a spiritual mountain that only certain elites can be on. You aren't spiritual if you don't speak in tongues in this way with interpretation. I'm not talking about praying in the Spirit. I'm talking about speaking in tongues with interpretation. So they, they think, well, if you got that gift, then you're, you're super spiritual. And actually, you can do it whenever you want. The middle of the service. No problem. If it was today, they'd just start talking right now. As though it's no big deal. So when we get to the section that I read as we were standing, we see in verse 22, he says, So then, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Huh. So prophecy is for believers. It makes you think, remember when Elisha was before King Jehoshaphat and, and the other kings? And he said, I wouldn't even give time to you if Jehoshaphat wasn't here. If this man of God, if this king of God wasn't here, I'd have nothing for you. Oftentimes, Edifying, exhorting, and console, consoling prophecy is for believers. It's not for unbelievers. Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say? They are mad. But if all prophesy... And an unbeliever or an ungifted person enters, he is convicted by all. He is called account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, 
And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. I heard a story once of Charles Spurgeon. There was a man who had decided and determined to commit suicide. Because he said he could not hear from God. So he had determined that he was gonna, where he was going to commit suicide, but he said, you know what? I've always liked to hear what Dr. Spur- or Mr. Spurgeon says, so I'm going to go to church this morning before I go commit suicide. He was a little late, but when he walked in, Charles Spurgeon looked at him, pointed at him and said, God is speaking to you today. And I can't remember the exact words, but essentially saying, God knows you're about to commit suicide. This is not his call. Repent and believe in Christ. And guess what? That man became a leader of that church. He did not commit suicide that day. And God began to speak through him to that church. Now, there are some people in the Reformed community that would be like, Spurgeon couldn't have said something like that. That's not, that's not right. I'm sorry, but that was a prophecy. God spoke. Spurgeon didn't know that guy. And that's not the only time. That happened multiple times in, church, in Charles Spurgeon ministry. That God would give him a word for someone in the body he had never met before. Just somebody walked in off the street and God would speak to him. Just like this. Prophecy, yes, is more for the church, but it can also be used in this case for unbelievers to convict of sin because if you came in off the street and someone was prophesying and it was describing you, you would have a hard time saying, well, they must have uh, read my journal. Oh, they know so-and-so who knows me. No, complete strangers. So prophecy, yes, is for the church, but it also is for unbelievers because it opens and convicts of sin so that they will be saved. Prophecy, if you look at it, will always lead you, especially in the New Testament context, will lead you to Christ, lead you to repentance Lead you to trust in God more. Lead you to walk with God with all your might. So, what's the outcome then? What's the outcome of this? Verse 26, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So Paul is actually kind of listing all the things he's already listed in in chapter 12. And we're going to come back and actually preach 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to get the main point out of it. But all things done to edification, verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be two or most three in each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. You see this? that Even as prophecy is happening, 
They are passing judgment. They're carefully weighing what is being said. Because if it is a prophecy from God, we need to know what it means. Right? Because these are God's word to His church. But if they are not of God, we need to know that as well. Because we need to carefully, lovingly rebuke the person who spoke. Not so that they will be like, oh, no one there loves me, I'm out. No, so that they will be encouraged to listen more carefully. We should not be afraid to speak if the Lord gives us, through His Holy Spirit, that urging to do so, to prophesy. But we all must realize that there must be judgment passed. We must determine if what is being said is of God, and if it is, we need to understand it. What is God saying? Why is He saying this? Because these are God's words in human language to us. His revelation. Verse 30 is very interesting. It says, But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Huh? That's very interesting. What's Paul saying? Look, if God is speaking, then why would He give a revelation to this person while the other one's speaking unless that person's supposed to speak? The same moment. So when that happens, the person who's standing stops talking and the other person begins to speak. Because God spoke to that one person and then, okay, now God is causing this other person to speak. They're not to be speaking at the same time. It is to be done in order and orderly. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. It's interesting. He says all, as though if it were possible, the whole church of Corinth could prophesy in order. But it will not, I say, it would not interrupt or be disorderly. That's what Paul's saying here. It would be an orderly, God-glorifying exhortation to teach us, right? So all may learn and all may be exhorted. Encouraged, strengthened. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. This is interesting. What is he saying? He's saying that, yes, the spirit is moving through the prophet, but they're not out of control. They're not in a, a state of ecstasy where they cannot control what's going on. There's a, there's a mixture of God moving and us acting in faith. So we have to be careful as believers to think, well, if God wants to use me to prophesy, He's just going to do it. I, I, I'm not going to be able to control it. No, there, that's where faith comes in. We as believers need that gift of faith that we talked about already to prophesy as well. Because, I don't know about you, 
But if I was sitting in a pew and felt like it might be an interruption to the service, or maybe somebody's going to take um, think what I'm saying is wrong, it takes faith to believe, okay, God, I believe you've given me a word for our church or for a person in our church or for this group or this family, whatever. It takes faith to step out and speak. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 12. We didn't talk about this much when we were there, but if I can find it. He says in verse 6 of chapter 12, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us. Again, see how the Spirit or God is giving us grace in the gifts that He gives. Each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of His faith. We're to prophesy in a in a in proportion to the faith that God has given us. And so when we earnestly seek, Lord, we should be asking the Lord for faith so that we could speak His, His Word. Don't overthink it either. I mean, that I'm sure that is a, a, a temptation. Well, what if I say something wrong? Do we believe that prophecy is the Holy Spirit God speaking through us, then don't overthink it. Let the Holy Spirit lead. Surrender to Him speaking through you. And begin to speak. Because God will use that in this body. Small as we are, to encourage us, edify us, console us. Why? Because God cares. He wants a church that is strong, mature, and faithful. We don't do this so that we can be famous We do this because we want to see God glorified in the church. We want to see our brothers and sisters in Christ built up, just like in your own family. You don't want to see your children fail. I hope not. You don't want to see your parents hurt. You don't want to see your grandparents fall or whatever it may be. You want them to succeed. Why? Because you love them. That's why Paul, before he starts talking about prophecy specifically, he talks about love in verse 13, chapter 13. I know we quote chapter 13 for weddings all the time, but that is the most wasted use, no offense, of this chapter. This is about loving in the church. And that is what God has made it about. Prophecy should be motivated by love. The gifts of the Spirit should be motivated by love, not by making ourselves famous. 
This is for God's glory and because we love one another. This is why we should desire to see the gifts flow here this morning. Because we love one another. Do we love perfectly? No, not yet. We all have to deal with sin in our lives. We have to draw back and realize that we don't love like we should. Right? Because when you see chapter 13 of Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So who cares if this church had all these gifts, but we don't love one another? Who cares? That's what's going on in Corinth. They're fighting and arguing, but they have all the gifts going. I do pray we love one another. And that should be the motivating factor for His Spirit to move. And all the gifts, not just prophecy, but today especially as we're talking about prophecy. Let's end with 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you that you give the gifts in this church, in our lives, not so that we can be something, but so that we can glorify you. Lord, I don't want your spirit to move here and us hate one another. I don't want to see prophesying work just so that we can say it worked, Lord. I want to see your work in our lives. We're so different, each and every one of us. The fact that you can draw us together in Christ just amazes me, encourages me. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would begin to move in our midst, that we would love one another and that because that love is increasing with every day lord your spirit would begin to flow and we would begin to experience prophecy healing and miracles and words of knowledge words of wisdom lord and as we go forward lord discernment and speaking with tongues and interpretation lord Father, we need every part of this in our church, not parts, but all 
So Lord, I pray that you would quicken faith in each and every one of us. Lord, I believe you will move here and begin to pour out your Spirit again, afresh. For your glory and your honor, Lord. You created all things. It is because of you that we even exist. Lord, help us as a church to bring honor, glory, and praise to your name. Pray you would go with us this week. You would bless us with peace, joy, humility, and kindness. Lord, guide us by your hand, we pray. In Jesus' name.